We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Network. We're brought to you by betonline.ag. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here, as always, with Jason Pat. Uh, Jason, the Bulls have a GM, Mark Eversley, who they hired away from the Philadelphia 76ers. So that's something we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, in a later episode. But Jason, I'm sure you are a Mark Eversley expert already. Give me your hottest take on Mark Eversley as the new Bulls general manager. I literally tweeted last night. I have like zero take on Mark Eversley. Uh, I know he is uh, from the Brian Colangelo tree. I don't know that might make the mic freak you out. I did a quick news piece about him for Bloggable last night, and the only picture I found in like the dashboard was with Andrea Bargnani. Also freaked me out. But no, honestly, like he came from. He's got background with Nike, the Raptors, Colangelo. Again, he went to the Wizards. He went to and then went to the Sixers in 2016. 2018 got promoted again. Colangelo guy. Uh, I'm not sure. Exa- I asked around a little bit. Not really sure how much, like what kind of stuff he's done. What he, like his exact roles with the Sixers. I still need to do my reading on him. So I, obviously, right now, not totally prepared to really talk about Mark Eversley. Other than uh, he's the first African American GM in Bulls history. So that that was the thing that was noted right away. They said that they were going to hire and have a diverse staff. So that's at least a good sign. He seems to be a guy that with like good player relationships from the Nike stuff and the marketing that kind of stuff. Obviously, the Bulls. That's good for the Bulls. Besides that, I need to do more reading on him. So, I mean, he seems fine. It's hard to have like a hot take about a GM who you really don't know that much about, uh, like coming up the ranks of with all these different teams. All right, but uh, we have a guest with us as well today, and that's Lazarus Jackson, 
editor for Detroit Bad Boys, the great SB Nation Pistons site. He's also the host of a Blue Wire podcast on the Pistons called Pistons versus Everyone. Uh, Lazarus, what's going on, man? What else did I forget? I know you you have so many projects you're involved with covering the Pistons. I've also got the uh, the Detroit Bad Boys podcast that I host, but that's basically everything, right? Like just that, know, just that. Plenty. <laughs> so, Lazarus, like us, you also cover a very bad basketball team, a team that hasn't been good in quite a while. And like us, your favorite team had a big part with to do with The Last Dance last night. Uh, we got to see episodes three and four from the ESPN 10-part docu-series. Uh, and this thing's been juggling multiple timelines the entire time. There's been sort of the ongoing trial and tribulations of the 98 Bulls that were dubbed the last dance. There's been kind of the the rise of the Bulls from the very beginning. And in this episode, we saw their battles with the Pistons in the late 80s and in 1990 and 1991 as well. Uh, And then there's also been sort of like personal profiles of a key figure from the dynasty. In this past episode, we got Rodman, who, of course, has Pistons ties and Phil Jackson. Uh, So, Lazarus, I guess I'll start off by saying, what did you think of last night's episodes? Last night's episodes, how did you think the Pistons were portrayed? And, uh, you know, how are you feeling this morning after taking it all in last night? I think the Pistons were portrayed as I expected them to be in a 10 part documentary series about Michael Jordan. Right. (laughs) Like this is, this is not the story of the Detroit bad boys. ESPN has a great 30 for 30 on the bad boys. And if you are interested in uh, what the, the Pistons look like in their own minds, like you, you can watch that, but this isn't that right. We, in this, in this narrative, uh, the bad boys are an obstacle to be overcome more so than like a story in their own right. And so ultimately like it's it's about what I expected. I think the the revelation that, you know, 30 years later Isaiah and Michael are like still pissed off at each other about the the handshake that wasn't um that's interesting, but also like not surprising when you consider the competitive nature of both of those guys. And so I think and that was what a lot of the discussion was about uh last night and into the morning, but like that's purely logical right like it makes a lot of sense that both those guys harbor a lot of resentment towards one another because of what because of what the documentary like established uh, that ha- occurred in their careers you know yeah obviously the bad blood there and as bulls fans obviously like we're we have our own biases pistons fans have their own and like it was to me it was a great watching michael jordan like the horace grant like just straight up bitches that move and like i think, I think even bill cartwright sounded mad about it. it's like Clearly, the bad blood still there after all these years. Uh, and you mentioned the, the walkout; that was a huge thing. Isaiah Thomas like went on ESPN today. I think like apologized for the perception there. Bill Lambeer was ta- was talking shit back to Jordan. So I, I kind of love all this pettiness. But one of the things that I, I think I saw you retweeting some stuff, and I read some stuff from like Vinny Goodwill. Uh, I can't remember the other article that I read, but kind of the stuff they did not show. Because you kind of said like what we saw is what you expect from a Michael Jordan basically produced doc. Like it's going to make Jordan and the Bulls a little bit better. It'll p- paint the Pistons as the villain. One of the key things that they did not show apparently was Michael Jordan basically just shit talking like the day before that game four sweep. Um, and I, I think he called them like, what was it? Uh, undeserving champs. And he said they were like bad for the league. That was something Lambeer brought up today on the jump was like, like you know, like they called him a bunch of Lambeer called him a bunch of whiners because they've been crying for a, a year, a year and a half. 
Um, I guess, I guess from the Pistons perspective, like, was there anything else you think that just kind of played into it? Was they, they also brought up the Celtics thing and the Celtics didn't shake their hand. Like, I guess you kind of said it went how it expected. Was there anything else there? Like you thought that maybe they should have shown anything else like that? I, I think the, the Celtics thing where in 88, the Celtics walked off or, you know, most of the Celtics left. Uh, I retweeted something this morning that said, like, you know, an assistant coach was like, hey, we, the, there was a security issue where they had to get the guys off the floor. Like, okay, sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the Celtics thing, I think it's underplayed partially because, you know, they are in the same way that uh, like the Bulls are the, a dynasty, like the Celtics and Lakers, like make the 80s. And so to have that in the late eighties kind of act as a, as like an endpoint for, for their run, um, doesn't get the play of the heights of like, you know, 86 with Walton and everything like that. And so I think that it makes like, that needs to be more emphasized The from the Pistons perspective, from Lambeer's perspective, from Isaiah's perspective, right? Like this is just what happened to them, right? Nothing special about Jordan like they they didn't like him but like this was uh, this wasn't uh this was this was personal but it wasn't like there they didn't have like a vendetta against him it was just like we we you know like Rodman said like you know thanks for kicking our ass see you guys later <laughs> yeah I guess going into that uh just kind of the the whole Jordan rules thing there was also something that they showed a lot uh, I was just about to pull those up right now it's basically just how they played them uh, and there was obviously the, the things about them being dirty. And I guess just the general perception uh, is another part, big part of this. The general perception of the, the Pistons as being dirty, how they implemented those Jordan rules. Do you think that's unfair? Because I think that kind of played into it. Like they the, Obviously, they were played up as being just like this dirty bunch of whatever thugs and that whole type of thing. Obviously, not not the best do you think do you think that that kind of label on them? I know they put the, they had the whole bad boys thing. Do you think that label of them as dirty is unfair? And like and this is the style of play. Also, was kind of watching that was kind of crazy. And some of those fouls again, they really played that up. Do you think that was fair? Do you think that kind of got to them? Do you think that annoyed them at all? Or do you think they're just like whatever? Like we're gonna we're gonna embrace this, and we're, that's how we're gonna we don't really don't care. I don't think the perception of them as like a very physical, like dirty team is one that's inaccurate. But what I think is really frustrating for the guys is that it that completely overshadows the talent yeah. that was a part of that team, right? Like Isaiah is the best under six foot player in the NBA ever, like maybe, right? Like number two overall pick, um, put up seasons of like twenty five and ten. Uh, you know, it, in a, at, his, at his heyday, um, Lambeer, one of the few stretch bigs before stretch bigs were a thing who was au- who was also like an effective defender. You know, part of that is because of the physicality. But like, you know, uh, that wasn't a very common thing back in that day. Um, you know, guy, a guy like Vinnie Johnson, right, who just came off the bench and instant offense uh, in that role and that. Uh, you know, I don't think I'm trying to recall if he ever won like six man of the year, but like, that's not a guy who gets brought up a lot in terms of like being a very key piece, uh, on a title, on a back-to-back title team outside of Detroit, right? Like Joe Dumars is, I think more known for his, uh, his, his work as a general manager, building up the, the Oh three Oh four Pistons instead of like his play on the court as part of like as part of uh, as like the on ball guy who was doing a lot of the work defending Jordan. And so I think that the, 
the perception that this wasn't like a skilled team. They just like beat the crap out of you and beat you like 88 to 80 because uh, they didn't let you score. Like, I think that that outstrips the the talent and, you know, uh, and the coaching that they actually had. These, to be honest, like, go ahead. Sorry, Ricky, go ahead. I was just going to say these Pistons teams were like deep as hell too, deeper than I realized. Adrian Dantley was a great player in the league for a long time. Mark Aguirre, uh, was on the, I think, 89 team. So mm-hmm. it's not just that they were talented, but, man, like they had maybe seven, eight, nine guys that could beat you. Rick Mahorn, John Sally, uh, James Edwards. These were all, like, very solid NBA players. And the Pistons swept the Lakers, right, uh, for their first title, I believe, in 89. And they beat the Blazers. Yeah, yeah. the Blazers in 91, yeah. I think I think Magic didn't play that full finals, though. And so, like, that's always kind of the asterisk on that one. The one that really hurts is the one in 88 where, you know, Isaiah hurts his ankle in game six, like, grits his way through it, 25 third-quarter points. They end up winning that game. And then, you know, they make it to a game seven, but his ankle's the size of a grapefruit, and there's no way they can beat Magic. Yeah, that honestly, like, watching some of that was, like, I have cursory knowledge of whatever this bad boy stuff. Like, I I feel like... He said, in terms of like they're obviously portrayed as the villain or all that, I kind of gained a bit more of appreciation, I think, for them. Just, I mean, and again, you kind of mentioned how the, the, they were a thing to hope for the Bulls to overcome, but I mean, clearly, I mean, they, 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 they had like they were rent free in Jordan's head, basically, in the Bulls' head. Uh, and they really clearly did push them. And they had, you have to be a damn good team. Like, you, you can be a team just whatever with your physical play, but obviously, they had to be really damn good. And they beat the Bulls' ass three years in a row. And clearly the Bulls really needed that to get to get better for Michael Jordan to get better. I know they showed the whole thing about how he finally started to lift weights. And I know Isaiah Thomas threw a little a little jab at that this morning on ESPN. But I mean, they, they clearly needed that. They clearly needed that push. And I mean, more power to them, because I, I mean, who knows if the Bulls probably would have gotten to the, the to won their championships at some point anyways. But they needed especially back in the day when like you kind of took those levels to, to your success, like the Bulls needed to get over that Pistons thing. They were in their way. Pistons were a damn good team, and like whatever. I've always been taught to whatever hate Isaiah Thomas, hate Bill Ambeer and the bad boys, but they were damn good. Like you said, they were, and they were more than just tough guys. They were really skilled. So I think, and I think the as as well as like you said, as well as a Michael Jordan documentary could do, I gained a little bit more appreciation for the Pistons. I think. Yeah, I think one thing the doc did do a good job of was explaining like what the difference was in the '91 series, and it was Scottie Pippen, right? Like Scottie yeah. Pippen coming into his own which well, was what made a big difference like in that series so so vast a difference in that series you know additionally like there's the isaiah thomas injury he hurt his wrist i think in 91 and he had like one of his worst regular seasons and so but at the same time like that's not from a bulls perspective from a jordan perspective like that's not the story the story is like scotty finally coming into his own um they showed the hard foul that i think uh mahorn delivered and then like he him not reacting to it and, you know, everybody kind of commenting like, oh, like that's when we knew when we had them when, you know, they were trying to break us mentally and we showed that we wouldn't yeah. break mentally. And it's like, OK, well, like that, like, yes, absolutely. That is a turning point in uh, in that series. Absolutely. And I, I don't know if I ever actually knew about the whole migraine story because that was I think that was 90. Right. I think it was game seven, 1990. Pippen had the migraine. It was terrible. Yeah. Jordan's response was kind of funny. And he kind of he, I don't know if Jordan totally believes it. I feel like part of me thinks that he think scotty was milking it but obviously pippen was brutal in that series and like you said he took it upon himself or in that in that last game uh, and 
he took it about himself to come back, takes that huge step forward, and the Bulls end up getting past the Pistons. I know, the, yeah, the Pistons were also getting older. They were a little kind of on the end of their run there. But, yeah, I mean, that whole thing with Pippen, he was obviously a huge part of that. Um, obviously, we'll talk about Rodman in a bit as well. Before we do that, let's do a quick word from our sponsors. Ricky, take it away. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas straight to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's open 24 hours a day. It's all online. Go to betonline.ag, use the promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com is the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to a whole nother level. You've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. Since they're chewable, they work faster. You take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. BlueChew's online position is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. And just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com with the promo code BLUEWIRE. And we are back after that. Uh, we should talk about Rodman because Rodman's yes. obviously a central character in both the Bulls and the Pistons story arc. I guess, Lazarus, from your perspective, do you think that too many people forget about Rodman's heyday in Detroit? Maybe this is my Chicago bias here, but uh, to me, his Detroit days kind of get underplayed a bit. And that was really where he started his rise, started to make a name for himself. And uh, before you answer that, I just want to say that I think Rodman has an absolutely incredible story. It wasn't fully captured in The Last Dance, but there's an amazing Rodman 30 for 30 as well uh, that you can find on the ESPN app. That's really awesome. So just curious to your thoughts on what Rodman Lazarus and uh, how you think that, you know, his Pistons tenure sort of measures up to his Bulls tenure. I think he was more vital to those Bulls teams, which is why his like the outsized importance on his career is placed on those years. Um, that makes sense. I th- yeah, I think that you know, but he was a he was definitely like the player he's always been, like a very effective on ball defender, an insane rebounder. Uh, but at the same time, like the Pistons had other guys who did that, right? Like they had Lambeer, they had Mahorn, they had James Edwards. Um, none of those guys like had the energy Rodman did, but like Lambeer was more skilled as a better shooter, right? Uh, they uh, they were also like more just more veteran experience by the time he made his way to chicago because like he had his own like trials and tribulations from detroit to san antonio to chicago um he was uh he was definitely like the third most important player on those bulls teams and he was also playing a a outsized role um and one that wasn't like duplicated elsewhere across the roster right like uh he was playing power forward, um, but like you, I can't name the bull center that he was like playing alongside off the top of my head, right? Because like that's not 
as vital to the narrative as like what Rodman Luke brought. Longley, baby. Put some respect <laughs> on Luke Longley's name, man. Sounds like it's like it's not Cartwright. It's not <laughs> Winnington. Like I know like we're we're way too late in the nineties for that. But yeah, your boy Luke Longley. He's he's got it. Wennington was still Wennington was there, I think, for the last three. I think it was oh, like really? the backup center behind Longley. I'm pretty okay. sure. Yeah. They had like yeah, they had Wennington, they had like Brian Williams, R.I.P. <laughs> Uh, I mean, they had, I mean, they had John, they picked up John Sally for the 96 run. They had, I think they had James Edwards for 96 as well. They had, a, they had like six centers on the roster in 96. Luke Longley was the starting center. I love that <laughs> bit of uh, Rodman context though, because you're totally right that he was the third most important player on those Bulls teams. Obviously I never knew where he really uh, stacked up on those Pistons teams. And it looks like he did start every game uh but you're right that detroit had a really deep front court even beyond him yeah and you know even you know he was rodman was counted on you know somewhat more offensively for those bulls teams meanwhile like you know the pistons have you know isaiah and jody in the backcourt um handling everything i don't that like it just wasn't his role he was and you know they kind of said this in the documentary right like he was still kind of figuring out what his role was going to be in the NBA and like how he was going to make it his first year in Detroit. And then like the, the guy showed him and he just decided to like leverage his energy and athleticism in a, you know, like a really destructive defensively way, like not personally self-destructive. That's not what I meant. If <laughs> <laughs> we could get to that though. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the quote from Gary Payton. Uh, he called him, what is it? He's the fuck up person because he fucks everything up. I thought that was one of like the best lines of the episode of that. I think that was episode three. Uh, yeah. And I think what you may have been referring to was they showed some stuff about how he like learned about like just the, and the, about just the rebounding and like the rebounding techniques and like the angles and like the tipping of the ball and like how he learned how to do that. Just like, and then obviously, he obviously wasn't the biggest guy, uh, not the biggest or strongest guy. I think he was what, six, 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 seven. But the dude ended up uh, he, in his second year. He was already averaging nine rebounds a game. He wasn't a full time. Basically, when he became a full time starter for the Pistons, he started. He in ninety one, ninety two. He had nineteen rebounds a game. That's I think the most in like a really long time. He had a couple seasons with eighteen rebounds a game with the Pistons before he went up to the Spurs. Just the way he mastered the rebounding stuff, and like they kind of and they they kind of showed some of that. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it's always it's always great to get like some actual uh, basketball. In, like somehow locked into these documentaries about like the overarching narrative behind the stuff, having, having the picture or the, the clip of like him in front of the old school TV, like breaking down film. That was kind of funny to think about, like that's how they did it back in the day. Or you had even like the, the diagram of Phil, like explaining the triangle at an extremely high, like 30,000 foot view. Like that stuff was like really cool. And something I wish they included more in the documentary. For sure. I'm looking at Rodman's stats now. Rodman did not lead the league in rebounding until his last year on Detroit when he was 30. So Rodman was great from like 30 until 90. So I guess from uh, 92 to 98 from age 30 to 36. So it's incredible to think about how much energy he played with. And he was a guy who was a 25 year old rookie like that wouldn't even happen anymore uh, unless it was like a draft and stash European guy. But to be that high energy, that active, and still be rebounding at that level in your mid to late 30s is just really wild. And that's one thing that struck me uh, throughout this documentary and 
you know, throughout just uh, reading about the 90s Bulls and the dynasty years is just how old most of the player, most of the league's best players were back then. Like even when you think about who the Bulls faced on their title in their title rounds, it was mostly a bunch of dudes in their mid 30s, which just seems so strange now. Obviously, LeBron's there, but, uh, you know, majority of the league is carried by players in their mid to late 20s. Yeah, this is what happened when guys stayed in college for three years, right? Like, that was one thing that was kind of funny to me uh, going back and watching earlier episodes. It's like when Jordan was at UNC, like, he, he stayed for, what, two, three, three years. Three, yeah. Yep. That would that would never happen, ever, today. And so thinking about, you know, how he got the chance to absorb all that basketball knowledge from Dean Smith, he got the opportunity to, you know, make big shots in college, and so – was already like used to pressure coming into school, but how that, you know, that came at a cost. And it also is probably why he like wasn't lifting weights until 91. Right. Yeah. 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 What was that? After the 90 series, I think he, they said he had 15 pounds. Yeah. yeah. That all that stuff is yeah, it's super interesting. Do you have any, do you have more on this? I was going to, I was going to bring up something about the college stuff. Was that, that I thought that's really interesting, but I'll let you finish your point. If you got more. Oh, no, it's just uh, it makes a lot of sense to preserve your body more if yeah. you're if you're an older rookie and like that might be why you don't spend a full off season like weight training. And so I, I especially at a time when medical science is not where it is now, where we were still at a place where like Achilles injuries and ACLs were like death sentences for careers. Yep. Um, it makes a lot of sense why, you know, guys spent uh, less time focusing on, or more time focusing on like uh, mental and physical recovery as opposed to just like you know working out for twelve months. Yeah, that does make sense. I, as as I was saying, the college stuff. I they showed some Rodman college stuff because he went to I think was it Southeast Oklahoma State. I feel like some of that old footage you mentioned the Jordan stuff. We saw some Pippen in college stuff. Some of the Rodman like the young Rodman footage was obviously he had a very uh, tough upbringing. I know he was he was homeless at one point, he, and he obviously he came out of college late at twenty five years old, and he played at a small school. But I was kind of funny watching college Rodman. They showed him getting buckets with like a smooth jumper. Uh, so I thought that was kind of fascinating. Seeing like him in college, seeing Pippen. Obviously, we knew more about Jordan, but especially Pippen and Rodman, kind of seeing their them coming up with these in these small schools and kind of seeing their games in college. I thought was especially Rodman last night. I thought was really cool. Yeah, Rodman, uh, Rodman, like out jumping four people three times in a row. <laughs> For this, yeah. like, oh, like, clearly you can see why, like, even as a 25-year-old rookie, you'd be interested in this guy, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, obviously, there was a lot of other Rodman stuff, not just from the Pistons days. Uh, there was the whole, the Carmen Electra stuff. I mean, there was the stuff with him kind of at the end of his Pistons days when he kind of went off the rails. And there was the whole thing with the, he almost committed suicide, but he fell asleep in his car. And they, they kind of touched on that. Obviously, there was, there was the other documentary where they, they showed more of that. But he went to the Spurs, uh, and then he the Bulls took a gamble on him. The Bulls assistant GM, I think his name is Jim Stack, decided to make that tr- to make kind of push Jerry Krause into making that trade, which was was it Will Purdue and somebody else. I think the Bulls got or traded the Spurs. Um, I guess what Lazarus just other maybe favorite or Rod, Rodman anecdote that we saw yesterday was obviously the Carmen Electra stuff with Jordan like coming in the hotel was pretty damn hilarious. But do you want to make a point that was in Chicago, not Vegas? The show, the episode kind of implied that it, that Jordan actually went to Vegas to get Rodman away and Carmen Electra hid there. This was actually in Chicago, but still a hilarious anecdote. Anything else about Rodman here that kind of caught your eye from the from this doc? 
Uh, one thing I did I did like was that you know they all everyone acknowledged like hey like Rodman can be his own individual, but that doesn't stop him from wanting to be part of the group, right? Like uh, yeah. you know him apologizing to Michael asking for like another cigar yeah. when he doesn't smoke, yeah. right? Or uh, him like bringing up the Native American uh, ancestry stuff with Phil Jackson. Like Rodman was very clearly like a, a very emotionally intelligent person. It just he had his ups and he had his yeah. ups and his downs as well. Uh, I want to ask yeah. about the modern day Pistons because <laughs> because why I, not? I really don't want to. Do we? <laughs> <laughs> so who's the Pistons GM? Is it Ed Stefanski? Yeah, Ed Stefanski is I, he's in GM and everything but title. Okay, his, his official title is like special advisor to the owner or something. He's the GM. So the Pistons are sort of in like a weird middle ground, I feel like, just in terms of their front office right now, because I believe he is an interim tag. Like, is he going to be the long term GM of the team or are the Pistons still looking for someone to sort of, you know, lead the team long term? No, he's the GM. He's the GM. Uh, They are they are grooming Malik Rose, I think, for to for the long term to take that position. Um, But. You know, yeah, he's he's a, the GM, and every, again, in everything but title. Uh, what did you think of your D Rose experience this year? It was oddly frustrating, honestly. Um, I I never I was never a big D Rose guy, even when he was big in Chicago. Um, I, watching him every day, you do like get a great sense of his uh, athleticism. You get a great sense of how. Uh, the the pace at which he plays the game, you can definitely see like how uh, how impactful he was across the league. That was one thing that was really uh, crazy to me is like how many other players and other announcers and you know uh, opposing broadcast crews are like you know Derrick Rose. He's still like you know the youngest MVP. Uh, that's that's something that still matters. A lot of players like, love him, I feel like giving yeah giving love to him. Um, yeah. despite everything and, uh, but like on the court, um, he, he was, he was a pretty efficient point guard who did not do a great job of involving his big man and, uh, actively hmm, at the, at a point in which the Pistons decided like they were going to start rebuilding and, uh, play for next play for the future and develop their young guys, um, he was gaining like more and more minutes because the coaching staff was still like, Hey, like let's try and be competitive. And so like those two, those two things kind of being at a loggerhead was, was kind of frustrating. Um, You know, Derek Rose is a a great player. I, it sounds like, and then there was the report that like they, the Pistons wouldn't trade him for anything, but like a lottery pick, which is a pretty big overestimation of what I think he'd be currently worth in the market. And so it was just like, it's just, yeah, it was nice to have him on the team. It's, uh, he'll be back next year. It's good to have him in the arena. It's good to have him to sell tickets. But uh, he's not like the most amazing point guard ever. So you're, mo- you're more of a Christian Wood guy at this point because he had a great year, especially at the end of the season for Detroit. Yeah. Or like even, you know, Rose uh, not looking to involve like Andre Drummond and Christian Wood as much as he possibly could was like a great source of frustration. It's like, Hey, like let's, let's see what this Christian Wood dude's got. Like you don't have to do all that. He's a free, he's a free agent, right? Wood or he's going to be. Yeah. yeah he's going to be uh, a unrestricted free agent. 
But luckily, nobody's got cap space. And uh, yeah, some it. other stuff's happening, so no one's really going to have any cap space. <laughs> so are you so are you assuming he will be back? Yeah, I'm I'm assuming he'll be back. I'm assuming they'll do whatever it takes to to retain him. Yeah. Makes sense. So are you on the LaMelo bandwagon like I am because the Pistons could use a point guard too and are going to be high in this lottery? I am I am less so on the LaMelo bandwagon. I actually dropped my uh big board on on Detroit Bad Boys today. Oh, you hell can yeah. check that out. Your Chicago audience can check that out if they're interested. I had Killian Hayes at the top of my board just because um he is, I think, the he has both a high floor and high ceiling outcome. And to me, like that speaks a lot to where the Pistons like need to go in this draft in particular. Um, this draft has not a lot of high floor guys, and the high floor guys that it does have have very low ceilings. And uh, and that perfectly describes Lamella Ball, by the way. Um, and and Killian Hayes is not that. Killian Hayes, I think, has a baseline of being like a pretty good starting point guard and uh, a really high ceiling potential outcome of being like a, a, a continuous multi-time all-star. And so like, that's the guy I'm in, I've identified as who I would like for the business to take. Yeah. I've in doing the mock draft for SB nation, I've mocked uh, Killian Hayes there and I'm looking at your big board right now, Devin Vassell at four. So I already love this big board. You're spot on with this. I can't wait to uh, sit down and actually read this. But yeah, I think that's a good summation of LaMelo's game. And uh, Killian Hayes is a great prospect. I, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, if the Pistons or the Bulls can get him if they're at like, at, were the Pistons five in the lottery? Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, and the Bulls are seven, so. Yeah, wh- what are the Bulls interested in? I know the Bulls have a need on the wing, but the wing prospects on this draft are not exactly, well, unless you unless you count Devin Vassell are not exactly like to, to die for. So where, where do you think the bulls end up going? Yeah, I would like LaMelo, but of course they would probably need the first or second pick to him. Uh, and then beyond that, it's kind of tough because there are a lot of good guard prospects, but given the way a lot of them play the game, I'm not sure how good of a match they are with Kobe white, like a Cole Anthony, Kobe white backcourt could lead the league in field goal attempts, but, potentially not efficiency. Uh, Tyrese Maxey, I like a lot, and I think that he is a nice complementary skill set, but him and Kobe together would be a pretty small backcourt. I'm not totally sold on Tyrese Halliburton, but uh, someone was making the case uh, for him to me, and they were starting to convince me a little bit when I was on a podcast over the weekend, so maybe someone like Halliburton would be a good compliment. But yeah, I would say what the Bulls need is the best available player because their biggest problem is they don't have much talent. Obviously, a wing would be nice, given that they have only Otto Porter basically on the wing, and he's going to be entering uh, the last year of his contract in addition to not really being a reliable player. But I don't think Okoro is Isaac Okoro from Auburn has really established himself firmly as like a good enough prospect to be taken seven overall. Maybe he still goes that high, or maybe a team like the Bulls would take him. But uh, more than anything else, I would want the Bulls to go best player available over looking for a specific positional fit. Okay. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I'd be, yeah. I was interested that you, you don't think of Kobe white and Zach Levine as a long-term pairing, right? Like you, you mentioned a bunch of guys playing a complimentary role next to white. Didn't mention Levine at all. Right. Uh, uh, I like Zach quite a bit. I think Zach Levine's a really good player. Um, 
he could potentially be here for the next four or five years. I think there's no doubt. But uh, with the Bulls having a new front office now led by Arturis Karnaschovas, I think that it's likely he's going to want to put his stamp on the team. And, uh, you know, if you break up what is currently the Bulls' young core, how much are you really losing considering they were, again, a terrible team this year when they were trying to actually be good? Uh, They had a, a lot of injuries, no doubt. But, you know, they're ending the year once again with the seventh overall chances to hit the number one pick in the lottery. So um, I think he's going to want to put a stamp on the team. And I like Levine. I think Levine's a really good player. He's totally miscast in sort of being an offensive initiator and an on-ball creator when I would like to see him a little bit more used in like an off-ball role where he could run around screens, really leverage his shooting. Uh, But of course, you know, the Bulls don't have anyone else to run a pick and roll or run in isolation. So the burden falls to Levine every time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, who, who knows the way Karnaschovas is thinking, but I, I do think that it's, it's likely he's going to want to put his own stamp on the roster over the next year, year and a half. Yeah. What, like you look at the Bulls, like on paper, like theoretically, like their core seems like decent, like feel like going into the draft, like, Oh, like this is where we need somebody like you have Kobe White at point guard, Zach Levine at shooting guard, Otto Porter at small forward. Then you have Lowry and Wendell Carter. Like theoretically that looks nice. But as Ricky was saying, like, there's like overall, just the results just aren't there, and like nobody should be untouchable. So like when you're looking at the draft, like take the best player available. Nobody make any moves you really want because like what do you have to lose? Like if you trade away Zach Levine, like do I would I say they should do it? Not necessarily, but like if you get a good possible trade for Zach Levine, if Art Karnashovas wants to go in a different direction, like fine. As long as you don't like make a terrible deal, like you don't have to just go out and start making bad deals. But like if there's something out there, it's like whatever. If you want to trade Larry Markinen, whatever. Like. And with the draft, like I'm not really as much of a draft guy as you, as you guys, so I'm not that up on this kind of stuff. But like, yeah, I'm just best player available tra- train. The Bulls need good players. They need good two way players. They need smart players. Karnashovas has kind of talked about how, like, I mean, just look at the Nuggets. You get good passers, moving the ball, that kind of stuff. Just multi skilled players. That's what they need. So we'll see how which direction he goes. Yeah, I will say uh, Karnashonov. Is that how you pronounce Karnashovas? I believe. <laughs> Uh, your new president of basketball ops. Uh, I will say that he strikes me as the kind of guy who wouldn't just like panic trade Levine or as my hope would be just kind of give Wendell Carter Jr. away for free because that would be a guy I'd be really interested in if he's available. Um, So I I feel like you guys are in good hands. Let's hope so. Now that they need to make a decision on the coach. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Those, Those will be some new hands. Yeah, Ricky, did you see that uh, Phil Jackson has been mentoring Jim, ment- quote unquote, mentoring Jim Boylan, giving him advice? That cracked me up today yeah, when I was reading right, that. Yes. It's clearly not working. Maybe you could just give him Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen instead of Phil Jackson's old advice, which obviously Phil Jackson, arguably the GOAT coach, uh, not really helping with his Jim Boylan advice right now. Uh, I guess, Ricky, you have anything else? No, I think that does it for us. My last question here, just this back to kind of the Pistons, obviously with the Bulls and Pistons are both kind of in a similar, like where the hell are they going situation? Like what's the deal with Blake Griffin? Like, do you think he's washed? And like, where do the Pistons go from here? Just like in general, like your young core is what Luke Kennard, he didn't get traded, right? I feel like I totally forgot about Luke Kennard. No, uh, he didn't. Like, yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. There were rumors from what yes. I remember. And then there's like, uh, Seku Dumboya, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but like, just I guess, where what's the deal with Blake Griffin? Where do the Pistons go from here? And like, how do they get? How do we get back to a point where the Bulls and Pistons are relevant again? 
to get together. That's going to take a couple of years for, for both of us. <laughs> now the Pistons are rebuilding. Um, I think officially at this point, uh, Blake is recovering, uh, from his, uh, knee scope. I think that the, like, he hasn't officially like asked for a trade or anything. I think he likes being in Detroit for the most part, but I think that his, uh, dislike of being in a situation that's going to be as thorough a rebuild as Detroit's going to require is probably going to, uh, force him out. Um, his contract is obviously a big, uh, impediment for that, but, uh, with that said, you know, he's only got two more years. Uh, you know, if you granted like this season, this regular season is over. He's only got two more years on the deal. Um, you know, whenever the trade deadline is next season, you can imagine uh, a team talking themselves into, you know, 18 months of Blake Griffin, much like the uh, Detroit Pistons talk themselves into, you know, <laughs> yeah. six months of, uh, of Blake Griffin uh, before Stan Van Gundy was, uh, was fired. So yeah, uh, I think that he is eventually traded, but it's not a like re- it's not a requirement at this time. He's not killing their cap space, right? They still have thirty million dollars in cap space. Yeah. Um. They they are a young team, but they don't have any like young stars. So it's not like he you. They're probably going to play him and Christian Wood together. So it's not like he's blocking Christian Wood uh, from playing. Um. Yeah, he's just and like he's a good locker room dude, right? Like he. I know that might be surprising to some people who were, uh, you know, less than considerate of how the way things ended in uh, Los Angeles, especially with like the Lob City Clippers. It's weird to think of like if you're a Clippers fan, you're probably like weirded out to think of Blake Griffin as like a locker room like leader. But like that's exactly what he's been for Detroit. And so it'd be it's not again, it's not like it's not pressing that that they trade him. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Like I said, but we going from the last dance talking about it, like our current teams and just the glory days for both Same our franchises difference. to now. It's, it's been a long ride. <laughs> yeah, long ride. Obviously, getting very nostalgic watching watching this old stuff and watching. Hey, remembering. Hey, remember when the Bulls were actually like really cool? I feel like that's and like the Pistons too. Like the Pistons were a badass team. They were the bad boys, and like the Bulls, were a super cool badass team to watch. Now it's just like both teams are just like wallowing in irrelevance. So like. Hopefully, hopefully in the next couple of years, uh, both our squads can get good again and we can build this rivalry back up. It's, it's been a while. Uh, Lazarus, I got nothing else. I think we're good here. Thank you so much for joining us here on Cash Considerations. Please tell our listeners where we can find you on Twitter, where you can find all your work again. No, absolutely. And again, thanks for having me. Uh, yes. I am the host of Detroit Bad Boys, the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and Pistons versus Everybody. You can find both of those wherever you found this podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. And also, you know, if you're interested in Detroit Bad Boys or Detroit Pistons news, you just go to DetroitBadBoys.com. That's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis. Thank you so much again, man. Uh, at, for Ricky and Jason here at Cash Considerations, uh, you know where to find us. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, all those places. Shout out to Bet Online. Shout out to Blue Chew. Shout out to Blue Wire Pods. Check out all the other great pods across the network. There's no sports going on right now, but we're putting out great content all the time. So go, go, please check us out and support us. So we will talk to you guys next time. We'll, I think our next pod, will maybe we'll try to talk, learn, actually learn a bit more about Mark Eversley, get a little deeper dive into him. Maybe we'll see if the Bulls actually, we'll see if they make a move on a coaching uh, on Jim Boylan soon. It seems like 
Karnaschovas is probably going to take his time there, but we'll see. So I think we'll probably our next pod will probably be talking a bit about Mark Eversley. And then obviously we've still got three more weeks of the last dance coming up. So we will talk more about last dance. Looks like next week we'll probably have some dream team stuff. So there'll probably be some more stuff about the Isaiah Thomas uh, dream team snub. They were talking about some of that today. And then I think there's also be some stuff about the business of Michael Jordan and commercials and all that stuff. So there'll be a lot of fun. Uh, so for again, Ricky and Jason, Cash Considerations. We'll talk to you guys next time. Take it easy. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.